Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Hello, my name is Marissa Dragu, and I'm an attorney at Littler Mendelssohn in our Littler Learning Group, the firm's training division. I'm Demery Ryan. I'm a shareholder in Littler Century City, Los Angeles office. So, Demery, I thought it would be good for you and I to hop on a podcast and talk to some of our clients about training and what is going on in light of Me Too. Obviously, nine months into this movement, we know it isn't going away. In fact, I think probably every company out there, and if it's not every company yet, then it may be soon, is dealing with some form of repercussion as a result of Me Too internally, whether that's complaints or trying to take the lead on this and address the issue in advance or revamp their policies or any number of things. What can you tell us about the current status of the Me Too movement? What's going on out there? Yeah, I think it is interesting and, you know, this chance for this movement to have some developments and see where it's going. And I think it's unequivocal that it is here to stay. And what we've seen even in just the last couple of weeks, we saw Harvey Weinstein be arrested. We saw the Time's Up organization financially support a lawsuit in Colorado to the tune of $100,000. So these things are starting to translate into not just people losing their jobs, but lawsuits. Certainly employers are, from the feedback we're getting at our desk as litigators, we're seeing more internal complaints, sometimes going back many years. And employers, at least the ones that I'm speaking with, want to be on the side of good. They want to know what to do to make sure that they keep their company's reputation in good standing and that they also provide a safe and comfortable workspace for their employees. So just like you said, they're reaching out about their policies, checking to make sure that they have policies that cover the right things, that they are properly rolled out to employees, and definitely, definitely lots of requests for training. Yeah, absolutely. And so in light of that last point in particular, I thought that perhaps we should talk a little bit more about training and kind of what that needs to look like today. And so many of our listeners may or may not be aware that the EEOC actually got together and put together, I should say, a select task force on the study of harassment in the workplace. And in June of 2016, they published a pretty lengthy report on what anti-harassment training in the workplace should look like. And it turns out that on Monday, June 11th, the task force will be reconvening to address Me Too and the transformation that Me Too is creating in the workplace so that they can provide additional advice perhaps on creating a harassment-free workplace in light of Me Too. So taking us back a little bit to June of 2016, the task force report indicated that the three main objectives of training should really be to assist the participants in understanding civility in the workplace, in understanding bystander intervention, and in understanding situational awareness and kind of applying each of these. So let's go ahead and go through these. And yeah. why don't we begin maybe talking about civility a bit. So with regard to civility, it just seems like such a non-issue for the workplace. Wouldn't you agree? It's kind of like, why do we need to talk about being civil at work? Yeah, right? I think this is an interesting one. It's 
really one that sometimes is tricky to navigate as a trainer because sometimes people have negative reaction to the idea of employers or HR being the civility police or creating some norms or standards that impose expectations on an employee that they feel are beyond what the normal workplace expectations have been traditionally. And so that's why in training, it's important to remember how you frame it as an opportunity, as you know, just a basic respect uh, concept. And also with training, there's always opportunities with each of these, whether it's civility, bystander intervention, or situational awareness, there are opportunities to tie it back to what's going on and say, look, we're not, we aren't being the morality police here. We're simply making sure that everybody has a safe and comfortable place to work, right? So there's Absolutely. so much going on in the world to bring in to the training modules that's going to make it concrete, make it real for people. You know, you open any newspaper and there's articles, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal last month that the subgenre for workplace romance in the Harlequin romance books, now literally these authors are saying, I am consulting with HR people as I write my workplace romance subgenre to make sure I've included a consideration of consent about power imbalances between employers yeah. and employees. And so these kinds of fun yeah. moments that are translating into the cultural fabric that we're all living in, that is something that you can touch on as you train and make it kind of germane to these people. So Absolutely. when you are training on civility, Marissa, what does that look like? Yeah, Demery, that's a great question. And I think when we start talking about civility, I realize, you know, like you've pointed out, there's a bit of resistance to it. But I think that one way to kind of move around that resistance is to really point out the potential slippery slope of an uncivil workplace, right? And I kind of see it very similar to the anti-bullying laws in California, which mandate that employers with more than 50 employees train their managers on preventing abusive conduct in the workplace. And that law went into effect January 1st of 2015. And, you know, the concept is that bullying by itself is not against the law, right? But it's a real slippery slope. In other words, conduct that could be perceived as bullying can definitely be perceived as perhaps something more. You know, people can tie that into a potential claim of harassment. And I think that with civility in the workplace, the more and more loose that we become in the workplace and the less even polite that we are and respectful that we are in the workplace, the more danger, I suppose, there is in the workplace for a potential harassment complaint or for somebody to perceive your conduct as being, you know, potentially offensive, right, even if it doesn't rise to the level of harassment. And, of course, as you and I have seen on the litigation side of things, these complaints don't come as one-offs typically. Typically, this is something that's been brewing for quite some time, right? And so, it might not be just, you know, one instance in the coffee room where people were exchanging inappropriate text messages or showing inappropriate pictures on Instagram or some other social media outlet, right? But it might instead be a whole series of small events that are leading up to complaints. And so if we can begin to encourage our employees through trainings and through other opportunities to begin to think about what civility in the workplace even looks like, what being respectful in the workplace even looks like, and start asking them to be this way, then I think we can make big strides toward creating a more civil and a more harassment-free workplace. Well, so I think that's right, Marissa, because people are, when they're in trainings, 
people sometimes are resistant to some of the legalese and some of the formal terms and formal legal definitions. But when you use basic concepts like the golden rule, just treat people how you would like to be treated, that is something that resonates with people. It doesn't sound like it's asking too much. It sounds fair and equitable, and it applies both to small situations like refilling the coffee pot when you drink the last cup of coffee all the way up to not touching people in areas their bathing suits cover, right? It's a broad brush stroke that covers a range of behaviors. All of the things you want to encourage or discourage in the workplace fall under that broad umbrella. And so it's about, like you said, also nipping things in the bud if it's a small thing. Having that sense of yeah. respect could course correct before it becomes a big thing. Yeah, definitely. So the next thing that the EEOC talked about was bystander intervention. So it's this idea, speaking pretty broadly, of when you see something, say something, right? So how have you found success in kind of getting this point across to groups in training environments? Yeah, this is one that really lends itself to training because it's another one of those concepts that everyone understands it is certainly something that, you know, you you see it in the media with college campuses, with preventing rape, with people sort of being empowered and tasked with the idea of creating safe spaces and being responsible for others' well-being. Uh, you hear it in the airports with the TSA messages. And so everyone understands it as a concept. But in the moment, it is hard for people to do. And that's why this is so important, because this is something we absolutely do need to have in the workplace. The only people who can do anything about an environment that is not safe or fair for people is those people there in the workplace have to be the ones to fix it. No one else can wave a magic wand to do it. And so we have to enlist the folks who are in the workspaces to do this new behavior. I would agree with you there, Demery, and I think, you know, just one quick point, you, you point out that this is difficult, and I would completely agree with that. I think that whether I'm speaking to a non-supervisory group of employees or a supervisory group of employees, the actual say something part of this message gets really tricky because a lot of times people, either they don't know what to say, they don't feel comfortable actually saying something, you know, any variety of things. Or they just don't think it's on them that they're the one who has to be the person who takes exactly. action in that moment. They think, oh, somebody else will do something. So I think the point of training is twofold. One is to tell people that that's the expectation, and I guess even threefold. Tell them that's the expectation. Tell them that it works, because in point of fact, it does. People will make decisions and either continue a behavior or discontinue a behavior based on whether other people around them are giving them social cues that they're going to accept it or not, right? We don't pick our nose in public because we are going to get, you know, gross rolled eyes from people. People will be grossed out if they see us do it. We're getting feedback from people that that's not acceptable behavior, so we don't do that. And that plays out in a thousand ways every day impacting our behaviors. And so you can train people to say, look, this is the expectation. There's no one but you you are the first responder in these situations. And so when you observe something, a problematic behavior, it's on you to take action. And then you've also given them that sense of empowerment. And training is great when you build in those skills exercises to give them the confidence and the tools in their kit to have some words to say. Because you literally, it's about giving them 
actual phrases because you want to have it yeah. as a go-to resource when you see something, hey, we can't use words like that here at work, or did you really just say that? It could be as simple as that. It's not about a full, you know, Oprah-level speech, but it could be a very simple course-correcting statement to somebody who has said something out of line, yeah. and chances are they won't say it again. Absolutely. And then, you know, I think also just as important to that message is to be willing to say something and then once it gets corrected, kind of drop it and move on as well, right? So once the issue has been addressed, then it's been addressed and everybody gets yeah. to move on, right? Exactly. So. Because people are worried about being feeling awkward at work. And so if you have a lighthearted, small thing that you use, it gets corrected, then like you said, everybody moves on and can continue to be productive and feel safe and comfy at work. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the biggest takeaway, and I love what you are saying about giving them exact phrases even during the training. I know we definitely talk about that and, and even do perhaps a little role playing if that works or is appropriate for your group. I think all of that definitely helps. But, yeah, people tend so, to really like that. Yeah. And so the third thing that the EOC test report addressed in 2016 was this concept of situational awareness. And so what they did is they gave us 12 risk factors for harassment. The idea being that these are situations, by the way, some of those risk factors are things like a homogenous workforce or an isolated workplace, right, or workplaces with high value employees or young workforces, things like that. So these are these risk factors or situational awareness factors that kind of serve as a bit of a roadmap for us of potential danger, if you will, of having harassment in the workplace. In other words, it doesn't mean that just because you have high value employees and they're all very young and they're all very isolated perhaps that you are going to have harassment in the workplace. It just means that these are definitely risk factors. So the more that you have in place, the more concern there should be or perhaps monitoring at any level, whether you're an employee or, or I'm sorry, a non-supervisory employee or a supervisory level employee, right? But especially as managers, we want them to really keep an eye out in situations that have more of these risk factors. So of the three, this was the one I sort of grappled with the most. The first two seem more intuitive. You're asking something of your employees. You're trying to instill a new behavior in them. And with this one, with, especially with training, my thought was, you know, so what do you do? Once you, you know these right. risk factors are out there, how does the training translate those factors into a safer, less hostile work environment? Exactly. And so one way that we have addressed this in our own training is to provide different examples of situations and let the participants figure out how many of these situational risk factors there are in a given situation, right? And kind of by beginning to spot the issue, if you will, taking us all the way back to law school, <laughs> um, you start understanding, oh, right, so clearly, you know, alcohol in the workplace is going to be an issue, right? Things of that nature. I think that's right. And I think that, you know, it's sort of a multi-step process where first you kind of are trained to understand that there are risk factors, then you apply them right. to your workspace. And then it becomes, again, part of the culture, just alongside the civility and bystander intervention, it becomes part of the culture to be aware where these 
risk factors are, and that might inform who gets trained, when they're trained, on what they're trained, what kind of training you're going to do. And so it's a really great tool for employers to fine-tune and, and sort of hard target use their resources in the most effective way, because obviously most employers don't have unlimited resources for training. Once you've identified your risk factors, then you can use those resources most efficiently and effectively. Yeah, definitely. So thanks for all of those thoughts, Demory. And I do want to wrap up here pretty quickly. Um, you know, we've talked about these three factors. We know that this Me Too movement is creating a whole host of complaints of investigations related to Me Too related issues in the workplace, a whole, an entirely new level of focus on training in the workplace as well. In fact, uh, NPR just published an article and they had a quote from Johnny Taylor, the CEO of the Society for Human Resource Management, who said that he recently surveyed a room full of HR professionals and asked everybody, well, who's been dealing with these Me Too related complaints and investigations and training related issues? And every single person raised their hand, you know, said that they were. So, so clearly it's really important, not just to our society as a whole, but absolutely to our work places, to our workplace cultures. So this training is becoming not just something that you have to do to check the box, but something that you really have to take seriously and start to kind of plan and strategize what is going to make the most sense for your workforce, right? But what is it, the one thought, the one thing that you would say is the biggest takeaway for employers today as they're thinking about revamping their training and rolling out something that's really going to make an impact? Yeah, I think that the one thing would be to switch from somebody standing in front of a group of managers and telling them what the law is and here's what the definition of discrimination is and moving from that into more of a very holistic, hands-on, impacting the culture. You are the ones who are going to make a difference. Here's what the expectations are and let's really grapple with what that looks like, how we are going to make a difference and, and have people feel empowered and confident that their role in their workplace is an important one and have that translate into real differences in the workplace. That's awesome. Good thoughts, Demery. And thanks again for doing this with me today. And thanks, everybody, for listening to learn more about our new harassment training programs or to learn more about any training initiatives that are going on at Littler. Check out our Littler Learning Group page or reach out to Demery or myself, and we would be happy to discuss. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.